turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome into the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next hour, we'll be talking about managing your money, investing your money, not just saving it, but investing it, working toward financial independence later on in life, getting to the point in retirement where you don't have to worry about a lot of the things that can catch people who have not prioritized saving and investing and certainly not put their uh, investments in the hands of a fiduciary, someone who is legally obligated to do what is best for them. That's what they are at Aptus. True confession. My wife and I have our retirement accounts with Aptus. We're very pleased with the results. Take advantage of the free consultation that they offer you. No obligation at all. Call their office. Set up your appointment. 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. Or you can do it online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Josh, welcome in. We always start with headlines, news events, things like that. And typically we have some that look like they're good and some that look like they're not so good. Uh, I suppose you have many clients who were excited about the fact that we recovered from the stock market hit earlier in the week and that yesterday, at least, the S&P 500 hit a fresh record high. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing poor to report there other than uh, we're still suffering from this problem of essentially seven stocks, the Magnificent Seven, as mm-hmm. they're known, driving the lion's share of those results. So there's always this debate, is the market as good, and by the market I mean the economy, is the economy as good as the S&P reflects? And you know, analysts have kind of stepped up and said, what do we believe the future is for the overall economy in the S&P 500? And the belief amongst most analysts is that it's a time to start maybe leaning towards a little bit more value-oriented stocks, a time to start maybe leaning a little bit more into international stocks. The future will uh, show whether or not that's good advice, but there's a lot of uh, trepidation and fear about what will the impact of those seven stocks be if just merely those seven stocks have a retraction and have a similar impact the other direction. It surprises me a little bit that international stocks would be looked upon favorably because it, my impression of uh, Europe and the Middle East and everything is that they're very volatile over there and the market typically hates volatility. Yeah, there's two ways to look at that. And there's two different types of analysis, uh, analysis that are out there. And the people who are really getting into the weeds of the technical analysis of an individual stock look very heavily on things like price to earnings ratio. Mm-hmm. Price to earnings ratio is simply just the percentage amount of times that you're paying for a company. So if the company's got 
a million dollars worth of earnings and you pay 15 times earnings, you pay $15 million for the company. Obviously, you're not paying $15 million, you're buying a share of that company. But, you know, I think the belief is that because European stocks have not favored as well as U.S. stocks, that the upside potential because of that, you know, better fundamentals, if you will, uh, is a little bit more appealing. Now, I think that just by purely looking at the fundamentals of a stock, you start overlooking things like geopolitical risk, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's kind of two camps there. All right. So let's stay in the good lane, the uh, S&P 500 recovering from its early week losses. Really good. Uh, Here's another headline that looks like it's portending good things on the horizon. Consumer sentiment, that's how people feel about the economy, rises again in February. But the back half of the headline is, to cap complicated week for the economy. So apparently the University of Michigan uh, releases numbers on the consumer uh, kind of gauge, and it inched up in January, indicating that consumers continue to feel more assured about the economy, and it's up 30% higher than it was in November. Uh, But sometimes just because people feel good about something doesn't mean it's real. Usually what it means is that people feel good enough to make purchases, which making purchases is always good for an economy. That's how companies make money. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily a long-term fix because if we've learned anything just about, you know, human psychology and behavior, you know, good tends to breed good feelings moving forward. So we, we have a very short memory. And if things have been good in the recent past, then we tend to think they'll continue to be good, but then vice versa. So I, I don't put a lot of credence in that statistic, but it does matter. Yeah, and then the reason why the back half of that headline says capping a complicated week in the economy, uh, here are the headlines that uh, aren't as optimistic. Retail sales are down more in January than Wall Street expected, and in fact, they're down more than they've been down in any single month since March of 2023. Now, I would just, you know, filtering this number, retail sales, through my own prism, it would be like, Okay, well, we just got through Christmas. We probably spent more money uh, on things like we're not buying gifts for our kids and our family every single month. So it makes sense to me that retail sales would be down in January anyway. But what do you make of them being down more than they've been down since March of 2023 and more than Wall Street expected? Well, the Wall Street expectations is always one of those things that you kind of take with a grain of salt because they're always trying to anticipate or forecast what it's going to be. And then the market tends to move based upon what the forecasts are. So if the forecasts say it's going to be good, people start to feel good about it. Again, good breeds good. Start investing in stocks for fear of missing out. And then the stock price goes up accordingly because of that demand. But then when the actual news comes out, well, then maybe it's not as good as we forecasted. Yeah. So maybe we, we forecasted a little too bright and shiny for our uh, the actual results. And then the market can in turn react negatively. So this is always a... You know, tug, pull, you know, pull and tug of what what do the forecasters think and what's reality? Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot in that, first of all, we're there is no consensus out there about what's going to happen. We go back to last year. There was a consensus for a while that we were definitely going to get hit with a recession, which is traditionally been two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. We did have that, but we were told, no, that's not the definition anymore. Ever since then, we've had this push-pull of good headline, bad headline, promising headline, not-so-promising headline. And to me, that underscores the importance of having somebody who's uh, more removed emotionally from how 
They view the markets. They view it analytically. That's what they do at Aptus Wealth Management. You can set up your free, no-obligation consultation, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. You can make your appointment online at aptuswealth.com. Their offices are located in Lewis Center. It's not far from 23 and 270. It won't take you long to get there. And again, you're not under any obligation. You go in, you ask these questions. I see this headline. I see that headline. What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? What do you think of this kind of investment, that investment? And you'll get smarter. You'll get, in my uh, experience, peace of mind from understanding the process. And it is a process. It's They call it the Aptus Retirement Blueprint for a reason. You wouldn't just go out and grab a bunch of two-by-fours and some plywood and start building a house. No, you'd have to have a blueprint for it, a plan. And having sat through the uh, consultation, uh, Josh presents at the end of it, and it's several meetings. Again, no obligation at all. You get a clear picture of what kind of track you can be on if you choose a certain approach, what kind of track you be on if you choose another approach. And it's just a really enlightening process, and I highly recommend you sit for it. So 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. Here's the other uh, headline that uh, maybe not so good for those who are expecting a Fed rate hike to come. Wholesale prices in the U.S. picked up in January. The headline from Reuters says the latest sign that some inflation pressures in the economy remain elevated. Here's another one. Mortgage rates are back up over 7% now. They were down a little bit under 7 but uh, they're tracking up at least this week. Yeah, I think all eyes are going to be on the Fed, and we have a lot of tussling matches here. You know, we talked last week about how the Fed is allegedly not political, but as we head into uh, an election year, you know, typically what uh, the incumbent would want is, well, can we lower interest rates a little bit, make mm-hmm. the economy look a little bit better, and say that we have inflation licked. The problem with that is if you pull that trigger too early, you know, particularly when, like the article that you just read there, we still have inflationary pressures, uh, you can end up, it can end up backfiring on you. And then you couple that with the fact that, remember, we talk all the time about the the federal government, the, U- the United States is a debtor nation. We're, we're spending more mm-hmm. than what we earn, which is why we talk about all these, you know, the, the trillions and trillions and trillions. I don't even know where we're at now, but we're probably closing in on $40 trillion we, worth we of debt. We are closing in on it, yes. Uh, well, we have to finance that debt, and that debt comes due from time to time. And that doesn't mean it all comes due every single year and we have to refinance it. But as these treasuries uh, come due and we need more money, we have to turn around and issue and borrow again. And when we do that with current interest rates, the cost of that is significantly more than it was when the treasuries were originally issued to the tune of three to four times more expensive. So how do we pay that as a country? Well, we're not going to tax our way into it. We have to print money essentially to do it. Well, when we print money, if there's one thing we learned from COVID, it's when you print money, you add more inflation back into the system. So I don't think the Fed's going to be very eager to start, you know, dropping interest rates too quickly, which means we have some challenges on the horizon, but we also have some investment opportunities knowing that interest rates will probably remain relatively high for the, the time to come. Yeah. And speaking of what you were talking about, paying interest on the debt, uh, I heard, and I've heard this before, but I heard it again this week, and it's hit me again right between the eyes. The interest that we pay on our federal debt is greater than our defense budget. And I think we all understand cognitively that in order to remain a a world superpower, we have to spend a lot militarily, and we do spend a lot militarily. And I'm not making any value judgment about whether or not that's good or not. I'm just saying it's a lot of money, 
And when the interest on our debt exceeds the amount of money we're spending on our defense budget, that tells you how much interest we are paying. Well, think of it as a pie chart. And, you know, part of that pie is debt. And that that pie is growing as a percentage of the total every single year. So the challenge is at some point when that piece of the pie gets so big Mm -hmm. that we simply can't even service our debt, it's too much of the budget. That's the risk, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, you know, the Wharton School of Business came out with their budgetary model, and they said sometime in the 2040s, if we don't correct course, we will be past the point of no return. Now, that's not to scare anyone. It means that, well, one, how we vote is important, uh, how we pressure the elected officials is important, but also how we invest is important. If you're simply saving money with the hope that your cash is going to keep up, you're in for a really rude awakening at some point over the next 10 or 20 years because your cash probably won't be near nearly as uh, effective in paying for things if you know some of the things that people are forecasting come into play. Yeah, and you can get ahead of this or at least have an understanding of it, which I believe gives you a better chance to get ahead of it by uh, having someone watching these situations and uh, taking care of your accounts and doing it in a way that's not as emotional as maybe people are. I've told the story before, ran upon a friend at a high school football game in the fall, and I hadn't seen him in a while, so it wasn't like, you know, we didn't have a lot to talk about. And I said, how are you doing? And the first thing he said was, my 401k is down $275,000. So that's an emotional reaction. It's, it's, I understand it, but that was the very first thing on his mind. Like, he hadn't seen me in months, so to bring that up to me right off the top shows you how much people care about it. And I understand why people should care about it, because when you invest money over time and you're expecting a certain return on it, well, then, you know, if you're not going to get that return, well, that's an issue. Now, this uh, wholesale price increase uh, certainly would indicate to me that there's no chance we're going to get a rate cut in March and that maybe the Fed saying that we were going to get uh, three three rate cuts this year, uh, that may not be realistic either. Well, the Fed so much has said so. They said uh, we really don't anticipate doing any sort of rate cut in March, that the earliest one will be sometime in May. Um, But it was very kind of cautiously optimistic. We'll see. Um, And when you start seeing reports like this, I don't know. And then you start thinking, though, even though the Fed, of course, is not politically influenced, a cut in May would be just a mere couple of months ahead of the election. Yeah, it would be. Uh, So I'm inclined to believe we'll probably see a quarter of a rate point cut in May. But we'll know more as it draws closer and closer. Aptus Wealth Management, located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040, to set up your free, no-obligation consultation. You can also make your appointment online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You were talking about that pie and a bigger piece of the pie becoming interest rates the more we borrow. Uh, The pie doesn't get bigger. So we got to find a way to, like, you know, pay for everything that we have to pay for. And a big, the biggest chunk of that pie, I think, is entitlement payments or is, you know, Social Security and health benefits, Medicare, Medicaid, all those kinds of things. We have a looming crisis on Social Security. It is not going to be solvent forever unless something happens either with the amount of benefits that are paid out or the amount of money that is coming in to pay benefits out. And I saw an interesting story this week on uh, Money Magazine's site. The headline says, Killing 401k tax benefits could help save Social Security, new research shows. 
So let's just start off with what are 401k tax benefits, and then we'll get into what the fallout would be if, in fact, the federal government decides, oh, hey, there's a way to fix Social Security. So 401k is just line 401 subsection K, the tax code. And you could say the same thing for 403Bs. Uh, but 401ks are for people who work for private companies, 403Bs for public companies. Like if you work for Ohio State, for example, you have mm-hmm. a 403B. You work for Nationwide, you have a 401k. In general, uh, people put money in 401ks because it's an easy way to contribute towards retirement. And employers many times will match your contributions. So if you work for an employer that fortunately does that, it's a way to get you know, kind of a boost or put your savings, uh, retirement savings on steroids. But the huge tax advantage is typically people will put money into their 401k on a pre-tax basis. And then that money grows tax deferred. So for every, let's say you're paying 20% taxes or 30% taxes, rather than the 10 bucks you're putting into savings after tax, you'd only put in seven bucks for the $10 that you earn. When you do it in a 401k, you make 10 bucks, you put it in, it's tax deferred, 10 bucks. That tax deferral continues until you retire, and then when you pull the money out, it becomes taxable. And the theory is that during your high-earning working years, you're in a higher tax bracket, Mm -hmm. so save the taxes today, earn money on money that would have otherwise been taxed, and then when you pull it out later in life, it will be at a lower tax rate. There is another option, which is the Roth option, but I'm sure that's not what this article is discussing. No, no. Um, And I think you know what they're saying here is, Social Security is essentially going to be insolvent sometime in the 2030s. That doesn't mean it that everybody's Social Security payments are going to go poof up in the air. But what it means is, according to estimates, that roughly 20 to 25 percent of what you're receiving today, if we do nothing, will become yeah this, no longer. The story says if no action is taken, Social Security benefits are at risk of being cut 20 percent in 2034. That's 10 years. There you go. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to figure out a way to miraculously come up with the money. Or two, we're going to have to get people to contribute more, or we're going to have to, we're just going to have to make some difficult decisions. There's only two solutions. Either your benefits have to go down, or the amount of money coming in to pay the benefits has to go up. And where are we going to find the money? So I'm guessing this article says, well, let's find it by not giving people those tax deductions, which is in one way a very short sighted way of looking at it because you're fixing a problem, but you're, also now creating, we're, we're, we're leaning into, we know we're going to get that ta- those tax dollars at some point, and the you know changes of the SECURE Act made it so that you can't defer and stretch payments even after you die. So when you die, the 401k has to be liquidated within 10 years. I mean, I guess it's an option, but let's think about this. Contribution rates into 401ks as they exist today is a very small percentage. Far less than 50% of the population actually contributes to their 401k. And by the way, that's regardless of whether or not their employer provides a match. So even if you give people free money, they still don't contribute. Mm-hmm. Now imagine if you said you get no tax benefits for contributing. Yeah. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't make any sense to contribute. That's right. But if there's one thing we've learned about the general American public, people don't like saving money to begin with. That's correct. So if you take away all the incentives, uh, I think you're 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 plugging one hole. And open it up three more on the dam. Yeah, no doubt. This story says ending, and here's the key word, certain tax preferences for retirement plans could correlate to a $185 billion annual increase in tax revenues, which would cover most of Social Security's funding shortfall. The problem I see with that is people get really, really mad when you start talking about cutting their Social Security benefits. 
And the reaction is very visceral. Hey, I paid into this. The rules were established. I pay into this. I get this out. You can't change those rules on me. I don't understand how the objection would be any different to people when you say, well, we're not going to cut your Social Security benefits, but if you have a 401k, we're going to cut that. It's the same gripe. You entered into, you saved the money expecting to pay taxes on it only when you drew the money out. And what are they going to do? Go back and retroactively penalize people for taxes they didn't pay when they put the money in? That's a gigantic mess. I can only imagine how many people the IRS would have to hire to do that. Well, not to mention the fact that if they didn't even do that, you would have these pre-tax and post-tax contributions, uh, which exist today, by the way. But when you're doing uh, 401k rollovers to IRAs as people retire, that makes it a more complicated process. And and let's just not forget that on top of this Social Security problem, that over the last several years, because of the inflation that we've had, the cost of Social Security to the United States government has gone up dramatically. I mean, yeah. we, we saw 9% plus cost of living adjustment rate increases. So the already bleeding out Social Security system really we took the tourniquet off. It's it's bleeding quicker and quicker. So this is going to be a problem. And there's another problem, and that is that typically the government's fix for these types of issues is, well, let's just print more money. Well, if we print more money, we exacerbate the problem, which they would be more than willing to do because we think in four-year election cycles. However, by law, you cannot borrow money to fund Social Security. So it would take – I'm not a political expert, but I'm assuming it would take an amendment to the Constitution for that to occur. So – we're really staring down the barrel of a gun here, and unfortunately, the problem needs fixed, but we're not going to fix it until, when did you say it's going to run out? 2034? Uh, 2034, so a, I'm 20%, guessing, a 20% cut in benefits in 2034. So I'm guessing this will be a talking point for shutting down the government somewhere around 2034 to get the budget <laughs> passed, right? We're not going to address it before then. No, it would seem unlikely, but somebody at some point from some party is going to have to have the political will to say, Hey, we've got this gigantic problem out there on the horizon, and we've got to do something to fix it. I just don't know that anybody that I see now, certainly not in our political climate, has the will to be the person to propose it, because if they're the person who proposes it, they're going to wear it. And if they wear it, they're going to be the ones who suffer a political consequence for it. I would assume it would be political suicide. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's a problem that needs fixed. But I think... If we just kind of ignore how are we going to fix it, because I think it should be a multi-pronged approach. There should be a lot of elements that go into fixing it, not just eliminate tax-deferred status mm-hmm. on 401ks. But the problem here is, or the I guess the overwhelming theme is, I can't really count on it. Do I think it's going to go away? Absolutely not. That also would be political suicide. But what will it look like when I retire? I don't know. So I'm going to need to start doing some of my own planning. Well, if if the government's also talking about removing tax favorability on 401ks, well, then maybe maybe my only investment shouldn't be Social Security in a 401k. Maybe I should come up with a, a better kind of resource allocation, a multi-pronged approach of my own that can kind of solve some of these in the event that things go different directions. Because diversifying amongst your tax status is just as important, I would argue, as diversifying amongst your investments. Yeah, no doubt about that. And that's all something that Aptus can help you with, too. Josh, as we've talked about before, uh, plans a lot around the taxes. And I don't know that people really think about how their investments are going to be taxed when they first take out those investments. That's something that Aptus definitely keeps an eye on. That's something we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. 
It airs Friday nights at 7 and Saturdays at noon. Uh, you can tell your friends about it. Take advantage of the free consultation at Aptus 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. We're here in the uh, middle of February. We got tax day coming up in April. Is there anything right now that people can do, or is it basically like, okay, there's a mistake I made in 2023, I better plan and not make that mistake in 2024? Yeah, I think planning needs to go into it. Uh, obviously, there's some things that you can't do anymore because the year's already over. Yeah. But there are some things you can do retroactively, you know, namely IRA contributions. Um, so, you know, it's not something that you should go in at the end of the, you know, I'm going to file my taxes and now... I'm going to scramble the night before to put all my stuff together. I'm going to run in and go, just tell me the damages. There should be more of a proactive approach. So I can only tell you what I do, and that's put together a spreadsheet of all my income, all my expenses, put in some question marks. So when I go talk to my tax person, I know these are some things that might be beneficial. They might not. I just simply don't know. And then write a question at the bottom of it. What are some things I can do to improve the situation? Because there are many. Yeah, and typically your tax professional will tell you if you make X contribution to an IRA or, you know, whatever, here's the tax benefit of it. And then it's up to you whether you do that or not. We're going to talk more about tax planning when you take out your investments in the second half of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Thanks for joining us on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. For the next half hour, we're going to be talking about investing building toward financial independence later on in life. That's what they specialize in at Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, probably 10 minutes maybe from 23 and 270, so easy to get to, and they'd love to meet you and have you take advantage of the free consultation, no obligation at all, that they offer prospective clients. Go into the office, sit across from Josh and his team, talk about what you've done as it concerns saving, investing for retirement, Ask them any questions you want to about markets, about different investment vehicles. Questions that you have, any answers that you get will help you have peace of mind, help you understand the situations out there better. My wife and I are clients, and we got to the point where we were not ready to retire, but on the cusp of knowing that our timetable was such that we couldn't afford to make a big mistake and have to start over or mitigate some damage that we did by making an unwise decision. It's given us great peace of mind and great returns, I might add, to be with Josh and his team and to have them on the case of allowing us to maximize our retirement investments. 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, or make your appointment for the consultation online at aptuswealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Some of the things you talk about with people when they come in, uh, I know as I flash back to ours was, First question seems pretty uh, self-evident, I would think. What are you trying to accomplish? And, and most people, I think, would be trying to accomplish, well, I want to make as high a return as I can possibly make. But you have a reason for asking that question about the purpose of why people come in and visit with you. Yeah, you know, money has to have purpose. If it doesn't have purpose and you don't have a plan, then people tend to make some foolish decisions. For example, one of the questions that I also asked you that you might not remember was, if you could get a 5% rate of return or a 20% average annual rate of return, which one you would you prefer? And everybody obviously sure. always says 20. I do remember that. But you don't have enough information to make that decision because if the purpose of your money is I want to make sure that I can send my kids to college in five years, and I say, well, great news. Over the next 20 years, you'll average a 20% rate of return. Well, it might be important as to what those returns are going to look like over the next five because you're not going to need the money in 20. You only need it in five. 
And similarly, you know, I think we all fall victim to comparison. You know, mm-hmm. it's the root of all evil, but nevertheless, we fall victim to it. And what we find ourselves doing is saying, well, what's some arbitrary index up like the S&P 500, sure. which is a reasonably good gauge of the overall economy being that it's essentially the biggest 500 companies in the United States. So if they're doing well, then the economy is doing well. However, does it matter how you compare to the S&P 500 in your investments? It it could mean it. I mean, it's just an irrelevant benchmark that we like to kind of compare and contrast off of. But if you don't have any of your money in the S&P 500, the return really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. So oftentimes what we'll see, and I've seen this, you know, time and time again, when the market is up, people will use percentages. Well, I'm up 13%. When the market is down, much like the gentleman that you said in the first segment, I'm down $250,000. It turns into dollars real quick on the downside, but percentages on the up. So what I think most people are looking for is how do I achieve my goal in the most predictable, efficient way possible? But then I also, on the upside, would like to compare against my peers at every turn. Yeah. So, you know, you might be an investor that goes that the, the mere idea of being invested in the market is terrifying to me. I mean, I would I would have a heart attack at a young age if I was watching all the news and all the stuff we talk about kind of in the first segment of what's going on. Some people don't want to do that. And that's OK. But if you're not going to do that, then you have to also assume that you're not necessarily going to get the same rates of return as what the S&P 500 is going to do. But what I see is that when the market goes down, it goes down 20% and you're only down five and you're really pretty happy about that. Hey, we did great. But then the market goes up 20 the next year and you're only up 10. And well, was I an idiot? Uh, I don't think I did a good job or my money manager is awful or my financial planner is terrible or whatever it might be. Well, let's, let's look at the S&P 500 today. The magnificent seven that we talk so often about that have driven the lion's share of the investment returns comprise over a third of the overall market. So if I said when you came in, we're going to invest about half of your money in about 15 stocks, you would feel very uncomfortable with that idea, right? Unless I had a really good reason for why. But that's what people are doing unknowingly, essentially. They're saying, well, I'm going to put my money in the S&P 500 because I'm diversified. Well, you are. You have a sliver in 500 different companies, but you have a third in seven. Are you comfortable with that? Well, yeah, because it's going gangbusters. I mean, NVIDIA is up over 40% year to date. But if over a third has made that significant of a return on the way up, it can also make that significant of an impact on the way down. So again, if you don't have a purpose for your money and you don't have a trajectory in mind that suits you, one of two things could happen. Either you're going to act very irrationally at different times because you don't have a purpose attached to the money. Like, for example, well, why do you want to quit smoking? Well, I don't know. I just thought maybe I would. No, the reason that you want to quit smoking is because the purpose would be to eliminate all the health risks (laughs) associated with smoking. Well, if you lose sight of that, you just really like smoking. Why would you ever quit? Well, if you're investing and you go, why are you investing? Well, I just want to have a big net worth. Well, either that makes a a big difference. I mean, that really means a lot to you. But if you don't or you don't have a purpose, in which case you're going to get derailed by these emotional decisions. And, you know, number two would be, are you taking too much risk trying to get that where you're not going to reach your goals because you actually had a five year goal, but you're investing like you had a 30 year one? Interesting perspective. And that's what you get when you sit with Josh in the Aptus team, 614-917-1040. 
most people, I would answer just, I want to get the highest return I possibly can. But he just demonstrated why uh, that's not the right question and certainly not the right focus to have when you go in. I thought it was interesting you said people come in and uh, you asked them, you know, are you investing for your kid's college education? Uh, I think most people picture what you do as the grading comes like 20 years down the road when I retire or 30 years down the road when I retire. Uh, do a lot of people have those interim type goals that they set for themselves and then ask you to help them get there? Yeah, there's a myriad of goals. You know, oftentimes the people that we see predominantly are getting much like you said, you and Sherry were in the situation mm -hmm. of, you know, we're not ready to retire yet, but we're getting close enough that we don't want to make mistakes. So, you know, our average client is over the age of 55. Uh, I think some, I can't remember the exact stat, but something like 95% mm -hmm. of our clients are over the age of 55. But does that mean you couldn't have a short-term goal even in that category? Uh, you know, definitely younger families are looking at, at different things. But, okay, well, my short-term goal is I'd really like to have a vacation home in the next five years. I plan on working for the next seven. Well, then it sounds like we have a short-term goal, even mm -hmm. though you're probably primarily focused on your retirement goals. So things happen. I mean, like you're sitting across from a guy who came to work on his birthday and had a medical situation develop that I didn't see coming. And a lot of investments have uh, age requirements or stipulations on when you can withdraw your money. And, you know, the old saying, life comes at you fast. Sometimes there are things This thankfully was not the case uh, in our personal situation. But I'm sure you have encountered clients who have a plan and they had a purpose and they had a timetable. And then, hey, life happened and something came up and they need access to their money. But, oh, by the way, you can't withdraw your money here until this age. You can't withdraw your money here until this age. Uh, how hard and fast are those and how fluid can they be if an emergency situation comes up? Yeah, sometimes the devil's in the details and, and you need to know all of these details or at least work with somebody who does. Like, for example, we use the ones that probably people are most familiar with. When you're talking about these deferred plans like 401ks, 403bs, um, IRAs, et cetera, for the most part, we're all familiar with that magic number 59 and a half. Mm-hmm. If you take your money out pre-59 and a half, you will get hit with what's called an excise tax, which is a 10% penalty. If you want to kind of quantify that, uh, well, if you're paying, you know, state taxes and fed taxes, you're in the 22% tax bracket and then another three to four in state. All right. Well, that's 26% yeah. roughly. Ouch. Yeah. Add another 10 on that. I mean, that's another third on, that's a 30% roughly tax beyond what you were going to pay. So it's a pretty, important tax. Are there ways around it? Yes. And not all of what I just said is even handled equally. For example, if you retire, you can get money out of your 401k at 55 with no penalty. But if you retire, you cannot get your money out of an IRA at 55 with no penalty. Hmm. So you retire, you go to your local financial planner and he says, what should we do? And selfishly, he says, well, we should move all the money into an IRA because, well, that's how I get paid. My fiduciary responsibility tells me well, I'd love to get paid on it, but at the same time, we need to make sure if you're 55 that we have at least four and a half more years worth of income left mm -hmm. in your 401k so we don't have to pay penalties. And there's other options. For example, you can do these crazy things called a 72T. 72T says even out of an IRA, I can get money out of my IRA without paying that penalty as long as I, I follow certain guidelines. And those guidelines are put out by the IRS. But what that means is you have to take the money for at least five years or until you're 59 and a half, whichever's longer. So you could theoretically retire at 40. Sure. 
and get money out of your IRAs and your 401ks without paying a penalty. You just got to follow some guidelines. So, you know, all these different types of investment products, again, a purpose for your money. Why are you putting the money in there? But remember we said in the first segment, diversification of not only your assets in the way of what your investments are, but in the way of tax qualification. It's important to not have all of your money in one spot because if you do, well, then you're going to have to follow. I just told you there's only really two ways around it. Yeah. Uh, well, if you don't, if those two ways don't work for you, well, then I guess you're just going to keep working because there's not much you can do. Yeah. If it sounds complicated, folks, I mean, it, it sounds complicated to me. That's why, as I always say, one of the benefits of going in a meeting with Josh, becoming an Aptus client, is that you have peace of mind because even if you don't understand it, and he does a great job of explaining it to you, uh, he understands it. That's the important part of it. And these kinds of things that, you know, he'll explore in your conversation bring things out that can potentially eliminate fires that could crop up later because, well, I didn't think as a client you're sitting there thinking, well, I didn't think this, this had anything to do with investments. I didn't think this had anything to do with my retirement. It turns out it does. You just aren't aware of it, but Josh is aware of it, and that's why you know he's really good at what he does. And the other part of it is, as he mentioned, he's a fiduciary. He's legally obligated to do what's best for you. So set up your consultation, 614-917-1040. Can you come in? Can you go through the meetings and can you walk out and not forge a relationship? Yes, absolutely. Right? I mean, like this, when you say no obligation, you definitely mean it. Yeah, well, we're not a fit to everybody. Um, so sometimes, you know, clients will say, this isn't really the direction I want to go. And unfortunately, sometimes we'll say, we're not a good fit. And that's okay. I can't promise that we're going to end up working together. What I can promise is that you will learn something throughout the process that will be beneficial and it won't be time wasted. When you were talking about the, um, outs, the escape hatches, if you will, on certain investments, and they may have an age limit on withdrawal. Uh, it struck me that when people come in, let's say somebody comes in and they got their priorities really aligned and they're in front of you at age 30. And the conventional wisdom would say, well, you know, stock market over time is up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, you know, maybe not year to year, but it's over time, it's going to be up. Let's put all your money in stocks. But that may not be, there may be a reason why you want to diversify at a younger age because if you have all your money someplace where you can't get your hands on it until a certain point in time, and the stock market wouldn't be one of those places, but somebody who would come in and go, ah, I'm, I'm risk averse. I just want to put all my money in, you know, this vehicle. And there's some kind of reason why that might make sense or might not make sense to put it all in that one vehicle. Yeah. I mean, a perfect example is today, you know, fixed annuity rates. Uh, and by fixed annuity, I mean an annuity that essentially resembles a CD. So you can get a fixed annuity today that is a five to seven year guaranteed rate that's north of 5%. Well, as we're sitting here looking at, you know, money market rates that are over five, but there's a lot of rate cut conversation mm -hmm. on the horizon. You know, the concept of you can't get a CD paying five and a quarter or five and a half for a guaranteed five to seven years. So, Maybe that's the choice for me. I'm going to do that. I don't need the money for five to seven years. One problem. While you get tax deferral out of a fixed annuity, that 59 and a half number starts creeping back in again. And unless I'm 59 and a half, I can't get it. So if you're 30, you're mm -hmm. saying, well, I want to get the highest rate and I'm going to use that in five years. Well, that's not the right choice for you. With one exception. If we know that there's a 10% penalty, but we're making 20% more than all the other rates, maybe paying the penalty actually makes sense. Yeah. 
And there's other ways. Again, we were talking about 72T is how you get money out of an IRA without paying the penalty. Well, with annuities, you can do something called 72Q, which is the same line in the (laughs) tax code to get out of the penalty, too. But that might not fit your situation. So I think, you know, the takeaway here is and I bet if if you're listening right now and I said, I'm going to give you two choices. You can either earn a 15 percent rate of return this year or a 5 percent rate of return, but save 10 percent in taxes. Everybody would rather be able to stick it to the government a little Mm -hmm. bit and get the same 15, but get it by saving taxes we all just have this kind of incumbent inherent desire to not pay any more taxes than we're supposed to so the objective here is let's not just focus exclusively on rate of return let's focus on what is the purpose of the money how much of the rate of return do i get to keep after taxes because it's not what you make it's what you keep Mm -hmm. i think that's in a rap song somewhere yeah uh but you know that's the most critical pieces of this it's not just purely what kind of rate of return can you get me that's a very small piece of the puzzle. So these are questions you'll be asked, and these are questions that Josh will explain answers to when you go in and sit for your free no-obligation consultation at Aptus. They're located in Lewis Center, not far from 23 and 270, right off Route 750, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, to set up your consultation today. Yes, they have a website. Yes, you can make your appointment online. Uh, the uh, web address is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. One of the things that I liked when when we came in was that uh, you're not married to one type of investment, and you presented us various options, and you certainly presented like here's the really aggressive tack, here's the uh, m- here's the tack that you thought might be more in line with what we stated our risk tolerance was. How much do people come in and think about the consequences? Maybe that's too strong of a word on the back end of their investment in terms of, okay, uh, what kind of tax penalty is there going to be? What kind of, what, when can I get access to my money? All those kinds of things. I know that's your responsibility. And I know you, uh, you know, you make people aware of that. You don't expect them to know that, but I just wonder when you're having conversations with people during their consultation, if that's a concept they've even thought of. Um, not nearly enough is the answer, but if they have thought of it, typically what they've thought of is kind of the big bucket type approach to it. Like, I know that my IRA is tax deferred, but at some point I'm going to have to pay taxes. I really wish I would have done more of a Roth so I wouldn't be in this position. But there's a flip side to that. Uh, when they ask this question, it kind of comes to light pretty quickly. They say, well, how many different portfolios do you have? And I say, well, I mean, like 30. Why do you have 30? You said you just told us that you have kind of like five. Mm-hmm. Well, we have five, but if you look at the way they're tax managed, it grows very, very quickly. And I'll give you an example. When we focus on taxes, again, broad brushstrokes, we're thinking IRA versus just cash money that I made that I already paid taxes on, which is called Mm non-qualified, by the way. Or we're thinking about how is an annuity taxed or how is this taxed? But let's just talk about how investments are taxed in a non-qualified account. If you buy an individual stock, we all know there's something called long-term capital gains. Mm -hmm. And we know that that's good because long-term capital gains rates are less than what income tax rates are. Yeah, and people have a visceral opposition to that capital gains, but that that means you've gained. You know, you've 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 made money. Absolutely. And and I think that there's an argument all the time about well, is long-term capital gains rates going to go up or go down? Uh remember who makes the rules, remember who owns a lot of stocks. <laughs> I have a feeling that it will always be to some degree less than overall income tax rates. But how do you pay capital gains rates? Well, you have to hold a stock for over a year before it becomes a long-term capital gain. So what happens prior to that? It's just ordinary income tax. So if you buy a stock today and you sell it in a week, 
no matter what you made on it, you're going to pay ordinary income taxes on that. If you hold it for a year, well, then you might only pay 15 or 20% in taxes on that. So if I buy an individual stock, I can control that. Well, what if I buy a mutual fund? Well, how do I know how often they're selling stocks? It's something called turnover ratio. So if you look at your fund today and you're looking at all these fancy nerd talk and, you know, we have standard deviation, all these different ratios. If you look at, you know, go to Vanguard or any of them, they will have something called turnover ratio. And if your turnover ratio is zero, it means that they hold stocks throughout the entire year, mm-hmm. which means you're only paying long-term capital gains. However, if their turnover ratio is 100%, you might think you're only paying long-term capital gains, but that means that every stock they buy, they sell within 12 months. So you're paying ordinary income taxes. Was well, that important? I would say so, because if I make a 10% rate of return and I pay 4% in that in taxes versus only paying Two percent, you know, two percent of my ten in taxes. Well, I made an extra two percent. So there's a couple ways you can handle that. One is you invest in mutual funds with low turnover ratios. Two, you buy the individual stocks because then you can really control when you buy and sell the stocks. Or three, you buy something called an ETF, which is much like a mutual fund, but it's an ex- exchange traded fund. And tax laws are different for ETFs, which means they can do whatever they want in the way of buying and selling stuff inside of my ETF, but my ETF sells like a stock. So if you're getting confused already, I apologize because we've kind of gotten deep in the weeds here. But I think the takeaway here is you should not invest money outside of your IRA the same way you invest money inside of your IRA or your 401k, which means they should have different strategies. Sure. Now they can have the same strategy in the way of I want them to be both growth oriented, but you might invest in completely different things. And then furthermore, I would argue that if I know that my non-qualified dollars are more tax efficient, well, I'd like that to be the biggest part of my portfolio, not the one that's just sitting out here waiting for the taxes to be paid on it in the form of my IRA. Well, if I know that and I want to be 50-50, let's say safe to aggressive, well, I don't have to be 50-50 in my IRA and 50-50 in my other one. Why don't I go 50 of the safe stuff in my IRA and the other 50% of the aggressive stuff in the other one? Because I'd rather have one bigger than the other. Sure, sure. Uh, people sometimes, uh, they, if they know much about mutual funds at all, they know that some are, you know, no load funds. They're not, no fee for buying them. And some, they charge a fee to buy them. Does that have anything to do with their turnover ratio? How they're managed? It does not, but it certainly has an impact on their overall rate of return. So it's very important. And these are kind of the, you know, there's a lot of commercials that I kind of found funny, although grossly over exaggerated. You know, the guy that's DJing on the weekends and then he puts a suit on and he goes, you know, this is your broker. Um, Well, I think what they're really addressing there is, do you know who you're dealing with and do you know what you're buying? And I think, you know, large in part, people know they need stocks as part of their puzzle, but they don't really investigate how they acquire those stocks. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is a loaded mutual fund. You can pay upwards of 5.75% in a just a sales charge to get into a mutual fund, or you can pay zero. It's kind of up to you. But it depends on which share class you buy, whom you work with, how they're compensated. And, of course, everybody that's in my position is going to be compensated to some capacity. We're not non-for-profits. But there is some um, ability for the investor to determine how they pay somebody. And as a fiduciary, I believe that the best way to pay somebody is make sure that you're on the same side of the table. If you make more money, they make more money. If you make less money, yeah. they make less money. Not... They make money right up front, and they don't even care if you're alive or dead. 
Yeah, that makes total sense to me, and that's what the epitome of a fiduciary responsibility, doing what is best for the client. That's what they are at Aptus. Uh, as we end, just I'm curious. There are all kinds of investment vehicles, new ones coming on all the time. We talked at the beginning of the show about conflicting headlines in this. You've done this for quite some time, more than 20 years. Uh, is this one of the more difficult times to do what you do and get the kind of returns that your clients are looking for? Or is it always challenging and maybe just because we're currently in the situation and it's a, an unknown situation that that's my perception of why it would be hard? Yeah, the challenge of the unknown is always an issue. So I would say, you know, from a, a perspective of finding the right mix of investments to be in, it's always difficult. Uh, however, we have more options today, uh, much like, you know, the Internet revolutionized mm-hmm. everything that we do and AI is going to continue to revolutionize that. The industry is continually, uh, you know, overhauling and revolutionizing. So there's more options available, which is a good thing. But much like the Internet, if you try and find out information, you never know if what you're reading is fact or fiction, although it's displayed as fact. Uh, with investments, there's more options, but there's also more holes to fall in if you don't know how to decipher which options make sense. Yeah, there's no shortage of information out there. The problem is, is it good information? Is it accurate information? And that's why I gain peace of mind from having someone like Josh uh, taking care of my investments, someone who I know is legally obligated to do what's best for me. Set up your consultation, 614-917-1040, no obligation at all, or Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program.